at <laughs> uh, after my sermon this morning, we'll have a little kids program up here. Um, uh, two other announcements. The first is want to remind you of the Christmas Eve service this coming Wednesday, 7 p.m. Uh, here. Usually lasts an hour or so. Um, bring all your kids. It's um it's a great um, it's a great night, a great service. So Christmas Eve this Wednesday, 7 p.m. Yeah, that's what I meant. Christmas Eve. <laughs> Yeah, come Wednesday too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, listen, I majored in the Bible, not calendars. Okay. <laughs> um, Christmas Eve. Whenever Christmas Eve is, come 7 p.m. Um, um, also tonight, youth group Christmas party. Um, if you're part of youth group, come tonight. You can wear your sweater if you have it. Make sure you bring a mask. Um, and that's for tonight. Any other announcements that I'm missing? No. Okay. Um, so I, I have been, um, in, admittedly, I try not to get too afraid of sharing with you guys. Um, and it's even, it, it seems even more, um, it seems even more fear inducing, you know, over the last nine months or so, because, you know, like now, we're, we're, streaming, we're streaming the message, you know, to literally people all over the world. We've had people in Australia comment on, our, on uh, a Sunday morning message. I have no idea. But hey, yeah, whatever, right? Um, so it's become even a little bit more, I've become a little even bit, bit more um, timid sometimes of being just really open and honest with you because of like, geez, you know, who's going to soundbite this? Um, but, I, you know, I found like, who cares, right? Who cares? Um, and I want to want to just share with you continually uh, in my leadership here, just where what God is doing in my heart and in my life um, as your pastor. And I'll, I want to, you know, share a little bit of that this morning. That this Christmas season, this Advent season, has been a really difficult one, in particular, hearing um, what the Lord like wanted to say through the Christmas story to you this year. I was kind of sharing some of that frustration with my wife. And, and you know, I, it's not my first year pastoring. It's not my first year preaching. And so, like, this is like, this is like Christmas number 16, right, that I've preached, preached during. And so it's not a new thing. Um, but I was just sharing with her that, I, you know, I'm having just a hard time hearing the Lord and why I can't, like, nail down a direction for, you know, like, Christmas messages and whatever. And she's like, well, I mean, like, what is the, what's the, what's the holdup? You know, what's the issue? Like, the message hasn't changed. Um, the scriptures haven't changed. Like, it's like the Christmas story is the Christmas story. Like, that's what it, that's what it is. It doesn't need to be a new insight every year. It doesn't need to be a new thing every year. It's like, you know, just, just preach it and preach it, preach it faithfully and honestly. And, and yeah, like I, I, I understand that. But my issue was, was that every time I was coming to the scriptures this year, I was finding that every Christmas oriented message I wanted to preach ended up being a message about like 
the Easter, what, what I continue to be like, or consider to be like the Easter message. Right? Like God redeeming things, God, God um, making things new, God taking bad situations and bringing good out of them. And so, in an effort to not really, and, and so I would be like, oh, I can't preach about that. That's Easter, and it's April 4th this year, it's not December. Like, so you know, fighting with myself and like fighting with the Lord about this, and I continued to just hear, not really fighting, but you get this, you know what I'm saying, like hearing him say continually, like it's not, it's not a separate message. Like it's not, it's not like, it's not like Christmas is one thing and Easter is another thing. It's not like, it's not like, well, you can only preach about redemption and about, you know, like God making all things new in Easter and you can only preach about like God being with us and incarnation during Christmas. Like it's the same message. And like, and so the Lord was like, you have been preaching on hope and hope as like being defined as the, uh, like the, the supreme confidence that the promises of God will be revealed and realized and fulfilled in our lives, even if we can't see them yet. He was like, you, you, have, you have hope that, that I, God says, you have hope that, that I am weaving right a thread, weaving a thread of redemption throughout all, across the span of all human history. And so he like, gave me this vision of like this timeline, right? Like, and, and how you have this long timeline. And we see the timeline in, in terms of like, well, God created everything. And then the end of the timeline is like where we are right now, right? And, and we see that whole thing. And it was like, imagine that from the beginning of creation, even to the moment that you're standing in right now, uh, he, he let me see this, this red, this really thick red thread, string, literally, that weaved through every situation, like every bit of the timeline, every, every Bible story, every year, every war, right? Every sickness or disease, every pandemic, every good moment in human history, every bad moment in human history, even up to this very moment, right? That, that there is this thread that, that runs through all of human history, all of creation history, all of redemption history, from the moment of creation to the promise of a Savior in places like Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9, to the, to the incarnation of Jesus that we read about in Luke chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 1, into, into even my own story, right? So, so God started this story of redemption even way back in creation, right? Where Adam and Eve... When, where Adam and Eve turned away from God and they sinned, and then God immediately made provision for the covering of their shame, right? The covering of their guilt. They were, they were naked and ashamed, and they were guilty, and they hid from God. And, and the, first thing that God, the first thing that God did was, like, he, he made a sacrifice, right? And from that sacrifice, he took the skin of an animal, right? And he covered over literally covered their nakedness, covered over their shame, beginning a redemptive narrative right there in that moment, right? And then weaving throughout all human history until he gets to poor old Cameron Leinhart, right? Where, 
where now that, that red thread of redemption is weaving around my own fears, right? It's, it's weaving around and tying around my own insecurities and my, my own loneliness and, or depression or our own anguish or pain or whatever the circumstance or the situation may be or where you find in it. It's not, it's not necessarily where you find yourself on the timeline of life or where you find yourself in the season of life. The thread of God's redemption is here. It's there. God, God sees, God sees and is working always in our lives towards a redemptive purpose. Meaning that there's, there's no situation, there's no point in time, there's no aspect of your story that God is not actively working towards a redemptive purpose. There's no relationship that you've had. There's no thing that you've done. There's no decision that you have made where God is like, I, I, am, I am withholding my redemptive power or my redemptive purpose away from that situation. Nothing good will ever come from that. Nothing good will ever be seen from that. There is no redemptive power or purpose to this situation. Over there. That's not in God's vocabulary. That's not in God's, God's language. God is always working towards a redemptive purpose in your life. It means nothing is ever lost. It means, that means no situation is ever too dire. No situation is ever too far gone. No relationship, um, no person, no circumstance or situation so far away that, that it outruns the redemptive thread of God's power. And that in and of itself, is a, that's a measure of our hope. Right? That is an aspect of Christian hope. That is an aspect of Jesus-centered hope. That, that God is working a redemptive plan and purpose through this situation, whatever this situation is for you. That is, the, that is the supreme confidence that you might that you can have. That is what hope is. Hope is the supreme confidence that what God says is as good as done. Even if we are waiting to see it fulfilled, even when or if we are waiting to see it happen. And so if that is the main message of God, right? God's redemptive purpose and power, throughout all situations, whether it's in the creation story or the Easter story or the Christmas story or whatever. Now we, now we approach and go to um, Scripture and we read these classic Christmas stories and we ask the question, well, where do I see God's redemptive purpose and power here in this story? How is the thread being carried through even, even into this? And I came to this part in, um, in Matthew's account um, of the birth of Jesus, and I found myself like relating with the feelings that Joseph must have had when it was told to him that his his betrothed fiance right was pregnant or that she had conceived a child. So Matthew chapter one, uh, I'm going to read uh, Matthew one eighteen through twenty one.
This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I'm not going to argue with Matthew about why Joseph wanted to divorce her quietly and leave her in the midst of like this Holy Spirit conception. Right? And I'm not going to argue with Matthew. He's got the corner on inspiration from God, right? But I, by what I, I, I wonder internally, like knowing, knowing what it's like to be a man, right? Knowing what it's like to be in a tough situation, what Joseph was feeling internally in this moment of my fiance is pregnant. I know it wasn't me. Right? Verse 20, but after he had considered this, so he was considering divorcing her, right? Considering leaving her. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Why would, would, would Joseph's reaction be one of wanting to leave his wife or leave his betrothed, leave Mary when it was discovered that she was pregnant or she had conceived? I talked a little bit um, a couple weeks ago about the reality of um, the culture that they lived in, right? And we don't have a ton of time to get into, into it, um, but the ancient Near East, and even now, the, um, the eastern part of the world, right? Some of the Asian world and the Middle Eastern world still lives in and operates in a kind of honor and shame culture. So the, the purpose of, or like the, the, the main orienting like motivation or purpose in culture, in family, in individuality is to avoid bringing shame to your family and work to bring honor to your family. So honor would be things like, you know, having a family, having a good education, having a good reputation, not bringing shame to your family by making decisions that are embarrassing or that put you in um, the, the, the spotlight. Or, uh, and so we, we see a lot of honor and shame culture in, uh, in a lot of Asian cultures. We see it in a lot of Middle Eastern cultures. And it was, it was prevalent all around the world in the time of Mary and Joseph in the ancient Near East, right? And it's still prevalent today. Uh, you can do a quick like Wikipedia thing on honor, shame, culture, and get a little bit more of that. But suffice it to say that it was a um, it was really the motivating force behind all like cultural norms. Seek honor, avoid shame. Seek honor, avoid shame. And so for Mary to be to be pregnant out of wedlock with a somewhat preposterous conception story, right? As we discussed a few weeks ago, 
would have been something that brought significant shame upon her family and significant shame upon her fiancé, upon, upon Joseph. And so the scripture says that Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly because he was righteous, seemingly saying that he did not want to create a scene and magnify the shame that Mary would already be carrying because of like the cultural norms around her pregnancy. And like I said, I'm not going to argue with Matthew here. I'm sure a lot of that was probably true. I also wonder why or what Joseph was feeling internally about wanting to distance himself as much as he could from this situation that he seemed that seemed to be like so absolutely out of control and which was likely going to bring guilt and shame and embarrassment upon himself because the the scripture is clear when the angel came to Joseph the first thing that jo- the angel said was do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife why would Joseph feel afraid in this moment? Well, well, seemingly he didn't want to enter this narrative of shame and embarrassment. He didn't, he didn't want to willfully right, partner himself with Mary who was actively bringing shame and embarrassment upon her family, upon, upon him, right? When, 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 when so much of human nature says that we are to avoid shame, that we are going to avoid embarrassment, that we are going to separate ourselves from even the, the propensity of, of guilt, right? That, that Joseph was uh, afraid to do that for obvious reasons. And I, I, I am guessing that Joseph in this moment didn't really know how to act or how to react or what to do. And so as we see from the angel, right, that he reacted in fear. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He, he reacted in fear, and as we often do when we react in fear, he wanted to run from the situation and abandon the people that were in it. And so he decided in his mind to divorce her quietly. And um, I think this is a this is a part of the this is a part of our fear response. Just generally, is that when we when we are fearful, we run. When we are afraid, we run. Flight or f- flight or fight, right? right? If you look back in your life and you you examine or think about or or just reflect on the situations in your life where you have admittedly just run away. Like uh, abandoning I am abandoning that ship. Or where you have right where where you have left a situation because you were afraid of like the accountability or the responsibility or the expectations that were going to be required of you if you stayed there, right? And so out of fear of what was going to be revealed in your life, like, oh, I got to change. Oh, I got to do something differently. Oh, I got to like, like God is requiring holiness in my life. Like, eh, yeah, nope. Afraid of having all of that revealed and all of that seen, we run. 
See, because for Joseph, the story was not as glamorous and as like nostalgic as we as we always remember it to be. And we talked about this last week, right? The, our favorite parts of the Christmas story. Oh, the shepherds and the singing and the angels. and Well, no one ever mentions like how much of a dumpster fire the story actually was, right? An unwed teenage mother with a preposterous like conception story, right? Them traveling away from their hometown and their, their systems of support. Them being homeless when, she, when Mary went into labor and, and delivered a baby, the, having no place to put the baby, so they put, it, they put Jesus in a field. Like, no one ever talks about that. We only talk about the nostalgic parts, the, the comforting parts, the warm parts, the beautiful parts of the Christmas story. And indeed it was, but it was beautiful, not because the circumstances surrounding it were beautiful, but it was beautiful because when we see it, we see the redemptive thread of God's purposes wrapping around every ugly circumstance to bring about a Savior for the world. And if we can sit back now and we can see the story for what it is and we can see the way that God worked His redemptive purposes through it all, the, the question then for us this Christmas season, I, or I guess the question that I'm asking myself, the question that I'm going to ask you this morning is if you can see the redemptive purposes of God in that story, how... How do you see your own story? Like, how do you... How, when you look at your story, what do you see? I think the... the um, the popular thing for us to, to say in church around other Jesus followers, the popular thing for us to say when asked that question, how do you see your own story, has become, well, man, I am just, the Lord has just really blessed me. I'm just, I'm just so blessed. And now, ultimately... <laughs> Ultimately, of course, that is abundantly true. But can we, all, can we all agree for just a moment that we kind of don't always feel that way? I mean, I'm willing to agree. I'm willing to admit that. Ultimately, do I know that like, I have been abundantly blessed by the Lord? Yes, I do. That is the hope that I have, right? That is the, like, that is the promise of God that I am standing on. Like, yeah, I, maybe I don't even see the abundance of the blessing that God has given me, but I, I'm holding on to that because I know that since God has promised, it is true even if I don't see it now in this moment. That is what hope is, right? But if I'm going to be honest and authentic and vulnerable with the people around me, I'm going to say, like, yeah, sometimes when I look at my own story, when I see the circumstances of my life, I don't really see the redemptive thread of God weaving it all together. In fact, it actually kind of scares me. And it, it fills me with loneliness. And sometimes it fills me with guilt or shame or embarrassment or, or fear. 
And, and, and when, no one else is, when no one else is looking, right? When, when no one else is looking, uh, do, you, do we maybe, I at least, secretly fear that if the, if the curtain of my life was pulled back, right? You know, like the Wizard of Oz, that, that classic scene in the Wizard of Oz where Toto pulls back the curtain of the real wizard, right? And, and you see that, that the big scary apparition in front of you is not really what it seems to be. It's actually just this old guy behind a curtain pulling all of these levers and turning all of these dials. Do we, do you secretly fear that if the curtain of your life was pulled back and everyone was able to see that you don't actually feel so blessed, but you actually feel really afraid and kind of alone and and shameful and guilty and embarrassed or that your life is really difficult or you're really depressed or anxious? How, how, how does that reality sit with you? I'm going to be honest, sometimes that reality, like that possibility, it, it like emotionally, mentally, spiritually becomes like crushingly overwhelming. Like what if? What if people really saw? What if people really knew? Because that is how I feel sometimes, right? You, uh, you, you feel afraid. You feel guilty. You feel embarrassed. You feel shameful. You feel alone or depressed or anxious or angry or whatever the case may be. And I think, right, I think that that may be a little bit of what Joseph was feeling in these moments and probably um, many many more of like, ah, like I got to get away from this situation because it is just a mess and I don't want anything to do with it. I want everyone to see my life as being so blessed and like respectable family and bringing honor to my name and like I just am going to run for all that I, like as fast as I possibly can, away from this situation. And then God sends an angel to come to him and reminds Joseph, or not even reminds him, but tells him for the first time, hey, look, I have a promise. I promise you something, Joseph. In fact, let me show you what my promise is. It's thread, right? It's a thread. Let me show you what my promise is. The hope or the promise to Joseph in this moment, in this time, was that God was taking all that he was afraid of, all that he was embarrassed over, all that was shameful about the situation, any amount of guilt that he was that he was um, feeling about it, that, that, that he was taking, that God was going to take all of that and, and imagine this red thread, right? And he was tying them all up. All of his fear, all of his shame, all of his embarrassment and guilt, he was tying all of those things up, binding them up and stripping them of their power with this thread of redemption that runs through every part of God's story. In verse 21, the angel says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because He will save His people from their sins. Now the name Jesus was not just like a, any, any proper name, right? Like, oh, His name is Cameron. I just name him whatever, right? The name Jesus had significance, right? Because of the, the meaning of the name. Now, we hear the name Jesus, right? And that to us is like, oh, everyone just must have called Jesus Jesus walking around the ancient Near East. But they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, right? They didn't speak English. Very few of them spoke Greek in that area of the world, right? And so Jesus' Hebrew name or Aramaic name um, was the name Yeshua, right? And maybe the more appropriate English um, equivalent of that would have been Joshua, but the name Jesus, the name Yeshua, literally means the Lord saves. That in the midst of Joseph's shame, in the midst of his embarrassment and his guilt and his fear and his desire to run away, God says, my promise to you is that I'm tying up everything that makes you want to run and I'm tying them up with a big thread and that thread's name is Jesus. God is taking all of the things that lay behind that curtain that you have up in front of everyone. God is taking all of those things that are making you run or making you fearful or making you embarrassed or shameful or guilty or angry or depressed or anxious. And he's not just letting them lay behind the curtain hidden. He is actually actively working a redemptive purpose to tie and bind all of those things up and to make you actually feel and understand and know how blessed you are because he is actively working to change the trajectory of those things. He is tying them up in redemption. That thread that he is using to tie everything up, that thread's name is Jesus. And this is what he's always done and always will do. And that is why this struggle that I've had the last month or so to keep the Easter message and the Christmas message separate has failed so miserably because it's not a different message. Because it's not different. From the beginning of creation where God covered up the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment of Adam and Eve all the way through the life of Israel into the promise of Jesus being coming. That's the promise, right? That's the hope. Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin will be with child. And he will come and save his people from their sins. Right, All the way up until the promise being fulfilled with Jesus and now we are in this kind of second waiting period, waiting for redemption. God has always weaved that thread of redemption. Even in the Christmas story, God is proclaiming the Easter message that Jesus has come to save. That God has made provision for our salvation. That redemption for your circumstances, that the redemption for your fear, that redemption for your shame, 
that redemption for your embarrassment, that redemption for your addiction or your depression or your anxiety or your loneliness or the brokenness of your relationships or the, the hopes that you had or the, the dreams that you had or the direction that you had that you seem was all crushed under the weight of the reality of life, that Jesus is the thread of redemption that God is weaving around your life to make things new. To make things good. That is a gift for us. That is a gift for me. That is for our freedom. Of course, we talk a lot. Uh, we talk a lot um, during the Christmas season about gifts, right? About the, um, the, the gifts that we the gift that we receive, the gifts that we give, and, and, the, and the, greatest, the greatest gift, far from being, far from being a, a, a cliche that we talk about, right? But the, but the greatest gift that God offers to us is our freedom. It's, it's the freedom that He offers us in Jesus Christ. It's the salvation that He offers us in Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus is coming, that Jesus has come to save, not just from and away from an, an, an eternal punishment, right? But that, but that the Lord, that Jesus actually comes to save from, our, from our, the current spirit of guilt that lays upon us, right? That Jesus comes to save us from a, a spirit of fear. That Jesus comes to, to save us from a spirit of loneliness and anxiety and addiction and anger and greed and lust. That, that Jesus comes to save us not just for eternity, but for now. That it's not just a, it's not just a future promise that we experience. It's a, it's, a, it's a present reality by opening the gift that God gives to us in Jesus. We open that gift by faith. Just as here, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your guilt, in the midst of everything that you want to run away from and everything that scares you and everything that is behind the curtain of your life that you are just really hoping no one pulls back and actually sees. Like, let Jesus save you from that. Let let the community of Jesus followers around you, let them, let them help you pull the curtain back on that so you can realize how safe you are. Isn't that really one of the most difficult things about that elusive curtain? It's not so much that you don't want God to see it because you know he already does. We don't want each other to see it. I don't want you to know that your pastor is sometimes afraid, right? That he sometimes feels guilt or shame. That he sometimes is, feels loneliness or depression or anxiety or anger or lust or greed or whatever. You know, I don't want you to, I don't want you to think that because if you thought that, if you could see the reality, it may... It may make you look at me or think about me way, way differently, right? 
And so we, we, hide, behind a, we hide behind this facade of a curtain, thinking that, 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 that somehow the reality of Jesus' redemption, the reality of God coming to save, the reality of Jesus' current power through faith and the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't, really, doesn't, doesn't really mean anything until Jesus comes back. But what if, right? What if for a moment we could all agree that, um, that together, whatever is behind the curtain of your life and mine is not scary enough to make us run away? What if we could all, what if we could all agree that for a, for a moment some of us might need help pulling, pulling back that curtain and then standing and, and looking at all of the things that we're so afraid of and proclaiming together, right, that, that Jesus has carried that stuff to the cross and put it to death. That God has wrapped up all of that ickiness in our lives with a redemptive thread that he's nailed it to the cross that it is dead there right and that and that what jesus nails to the cross did you know that what jesus nails to the cross stays on the cross but then the but then jesus gets off the cross goes into the grave and is resurrected to new life to give us freedom from the things that are now dead and access into a new life with the Holy Spirit. And so, is the Easter story and the Christmas story, is it all different? That's a different story. Same thread. Same redemption, same God, same Savior, same promise, same hope, all the time, forever and ever, amen. Right? And as a, and as a community and, and as a church, like we allow that redemptive thread to also run through our relationships with each other. And here's, the, here's, here's shocking news to you, I'm sure. We don't always get it right. Right? We, we don't always get it right. Sometimes in our relationships with, with one another, when we find out the truth about what's behind someone's curtain, we kind of do a, jeez. <gasps> and we, out of fear, we back way away from that person or that thing because we just don't really know how to deal with it, right? It's kind of easier for us to just peace out. But what if when those moments where the curtain was pulled back from people's lives around us, instead of piecing out the other direction, we actually like moved in closer. Like we got closer. Almost kind of like, in a way, similar to like what, you know, God did. What like Jesus did when Adam and Eve sinned, right? And their sin was before them. And the scripture said that they 
immediately when they sinned, their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked and they were, like, it was a picture of their shame. Oh my gosh, what have we done? Like, look at us. Mm. And so what they do, they, they they went and hid, right? They went and hid. And then... I know, this is a great illustration, right? Um, uh, they went and hid, right? And then God, God, what, what did God do? God went looking for them. Where are you? Well, we were kind of shameful and embarrassed and, and guilty for what we did, so we heard you coming and we hid. Get out of there. Right? Get, get out of there. What, what are you doing? And then he, he saw, right? He took a lamb. Oh, man. You want to you say, like, you, you, you want to talk about the, the whole thread of God's story being weaved throughout all of human history, right? Like when Adam and Eve sinned, he took a lamb and sacrificed it <laughs> so that he could make clothes out of the skin so that the shame and guilt and embarrassment that Adam and Eve were experiencing, that he could make clothes to cover up their nakedness. That's the Easter story all day long. And that's what he did with Joseph, promising him, giving him the hope of the Savior coming, right? But, but, But what if... What, what, what if you and I, right? What if as a church, um, every, time the, every time someone was hiding behind the proverbial bush of their sin and embarrassment and guilt, that instead of running away the opposite way or letting them hide, we actually moved closer, right? And through the grace offered to us in Jesus Christ, we offered them the same grace that covers over their shame, that covers over their guilt, that covers over their embarrassment and brings them out of hiding back into community. If you have a better incarnation of the gospel, let me know. But I think that's like it. I think that like as a, as a body... That is who we are to be. That is what we are called to do. That is, that is, the, that is the purpose of our lives as, as a Jesus-centered, Jesus-loving, Jesus-worshipping people of God in the center of the city of Jamestown and beyond is to take the message of the gospel right, and proclaim it over people's lives and incarnate it over people's lives so that the, what is behind the curtain of their lives no longer scares them, right? but they willfully pull it back so that God may tie it all up with this thread of redemption and kick it to the curb of their lives. Way off topic of my sermon right now, but... But that's my prayer and that's my hope for us. That's where, that's where I, I intend to, to lead us, to continue to lead us, um, to work towards that. Like, are we going to get it right every single time? No, probably not. No, definitely not. We're not going to get it right every single time. 
we got to keep pressing for it. We got to keep pushing for it. We got to keep like doing the uncomfortable, like we got we to gotta do the uncomfortable thing. Pull the curtain back, do the uncomfortable thing. Be okay with seeing it, right? Um, so that God has access to it. Uh, I'm going to pray us, uh, pray us out this morning and then um, our... We, we need a minute still um, till the kids come upstairs. Did, did Ellen go down and tell them that we're, we're ready for them? She just did. Okay. I was told I needed to preach for a certain amount of time. I usually don't have that problem, but... Um, so when we are ready, we'll get ready. I well again remind uh, we'll remind you of Christmas Eve, whatever day Christmas Eve is. Um, um, it'll be a candlelight service, um, like it is every year. It's always we always have a lot of music. Um, it's always a very like special um, type of service, one of my favorites of the year, um, and so would love for you to come, invite your family, um, and um, that's it. Oh, next week, really important next week. Next Sunday, I don't know if you guys remember or not, or, but every, the last Sunday of every calendar year, we do something that we call um, Stories of Conduit, where we bring a couple people up on stage and we just talk about um, you know, what God has done in their lives in the last year, or what's, you know, um, let them kind of talk about their testimony. It's one of my favorite Sundays. It's a great year. I think last year we had uh, Nick, um, John, Ciancio, Sarah Skillman, uh, Michael Smoker up here. It was really fun. Um, this year we have, um, we have three members of the leadership team who are coming off of the leadership team. Their, their term is over. Um, and so we're going to have them up and we're going to Ask them what the Lord has taught and spoken to them over the last three years. If you don't know, it's been kind of a busy three years um, for the leadership team here. And um, we're also going to pray over um, the, three, the three people who are coming onto the leadership team and pray just God's blessing on them as they, uh, they lead, us into this next, lead us into this next season. So uh, don't, miss, don't miss next week. All right, let me pray, and um, then we will move to the next thing. Lord, thank you. Um, we thank you, Father, that we can see this big thread of redemption running through every aspect of human history. Lord, Lord that you are actively working to redeem our lives. Every circumstance and situation and experience, Lord, that you are actively working.
to bring redemptive purpose to it. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who You have sent as a Savior to the world. There is mystery wrapped up in there. There is wonder. There is joy and hope. Lord, let, let, those, let the characteristics of Jesus, those redemptive characteristics of Jesus, seep into our lives this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.